What's up? What's going on? Hey, thanks for joining me. My name is Shaleen. This is The Shaleen Show, and my name is pronounced Shaleen. I feel like I have to say that because lately it's so weird. I keep running into people who are like, oh my gosh, I recognize your voice. I think I listened to your podcast. Are you Shaleen? I'm like, yeah, no, no, I'm Shaleen. It's The Shaleen Show. I don't know why it's so confusing for people. Just promise me, promise me. (sighs) It's okay if you get it wrong. I'm just happy you're here listening. I polled my audience on Instagram and said, what topic do you want me to discuss on Monday? By the way, depending on whether you're listening to this the day that it releases, it is a holiday, it is Labor Day, and I wanted you to have something to enjoy today. And I asked specifically, what do you guys want to talk about? What topic can I dig into and give you some answers or some insight, et cetera? And overwhelmingly, people said, let's just talk. Let's just talk about all the things. So that's what I'm going to do. We're going to chat today. I'm happy you're here. Thanks for spending your holiday with me. Thanks for making sure that you're following The Shaleen Show. If you're listening on an Apple device, that's a new thing for podcasts. You don't subscribe anymore. Now you follow. So you click in the upper right-hand corner. Go ahead and check it out right now while you're listening to the episode. Upper right-hand corner, you'll see there's a little button that says go to show. Then when you go to the show, you click on the word follow. And then that way you will get the next episode that I release automatically. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to search for it. It'll just show up without you having to do a thing. On the other podcast apps, you probably have to subscribe, etc. Let me say thank you to those of you who are subscribed. I want to invite you to become members of the Pod Squad. It's a private Facebook group where we get together and chat about things that we talk about in the episode because this really is a community effort. Like I know I'm on the microphone, but Really, you guys help me curate the content. You help me decide what it is we need to talk about, talk more about. And I love reading your input. I like your criticisms. I like your constructive feedback. I like hearing what things – it's interesting to me to learn what things stick with you or made you think. It's fascinating to me. So I I love going there. And you can join the Pod Squad group too. Just go on Facebook and search Pod Squad, or you can go on Instagram and send me a direct message and just use the hashtag Pod Squad. And I will send you the direct link. That way you don't even have to search for it on Facebook. All right, let's do this. All right, as you can tell from the title of this episode, we're just going to chat. We're going to talk about some of the things you said you wanted to talk about, like specifically anxiety that's seems to be at like an all-time high with in particular the Gen Z and millennial folks, kids, people. <laughs> I'm going to talk about what we are binge watching right now, some great shows we've caught and why I think you might like them or might want to avoid them. We're going to talk about my plastic surgery and also how to find time to fit in self-care when you just feel so crazy, busy, and overwhelmed. Like, But you also know it's really important. So let's start with anxiety. And this kind of relates to also what we're watching on TV. So, you know, I had Heidi D'Amelio, which is Charlie D'Amelio and Dixie D'Amelio. If you don't know them, then you don't have Gen Z or millennials because those are two girls who have literally hundreds of millions which is crazy, of followers on TikTok. And it happened over the course of about a year. Can you imagine raising or rising to that level of fame in such a short period of time and being 16 years old or 19 years old as the older daughter Dixie is? 
pretty crazy. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it because I think you'll have a very different opinion of the D'Amelios after you hear from Heidi. Heidi is just like a normal mom who really cares about her daughter's health. You know, a husband and wife who are entrepreneurs. There's a lot of misconceptions about this family. And I think that has to do with, you know, kind of our beliefs like, oh, are these like the new Kardashians? Is Heidi like the dance mom or the momager? Is this a family that's trying to, I don't know, exploit their kids' fame, et cetera, or living off their kids? And it's just not that at all. They were very successful entrepreneurs before this ever happened. And they've already really kind of within the family teaching their kids about entrepreneurship and brand and the whole TikTok thing during COVID, you know, during the pandemic, everybody was on TikTok and obviously now it's kind of reels, right? Or both. But it just, those two girls and the whole family kind of had this incredible tsunami of popularity. And there's been a million people try to debate like what happened or how did this happen? Like, you know, especially Charlie, because it kind of started with Charlie. She's the girl next door. She's adorable. She's really cute, really beautiful, but not so beautiful that you like hate her. Like it's a natural beauty. It's a girl next door. It's the girl you want your son to date kind of girl. You know what I mean? So she had that going for her. And in addition to that, I think she just has this natural charisma and she moves beautifully. So she was a competitive dancer. I think she still is dancing. I'm not really sure if she's doing it competitively, but she just moves beautifully. You know, some people, when they move, you're like, wow, it just looks effortless. Like someone else could learn those same moves and it just doesn't look the same. If you've ever watched a dance competition, you know this is true. You can watch the whole group of like 12 girls and guys on the stage, but your eyes, 90% of the audience is going to be looking at one dancer because they have that something special. And so I think it was like all of those things combined and it just took off like wildfire. And so now these girls, the family in general, I mean, they, they're a really strong family unit. I'm going to link to the interview I did with Heidi in our show notes because I think that would be really interesting for you to listen to after this one if you haven't already. Anyways, when Heidi was on, she was telling me that I forget if we talked about it. I think we did. I forget. I can't remember if we talked about it like off the record or on the podcast. But anyways, they have a new show on Hulu. And that's the first thing that I want you to watch because I told you that we're like, you know, I'm going to talk about some of the things we're binge watching right now. I want you to watch the show. It's on Hulu. It's called The D'Amelio Show. And it is not the Kardashians. It is not your typical reality TV show. It is them kind of, it's almost like a docu-series where the cameras are following the D'Amelios as they're trying to navigate in the healthiest way possible a truly precarious, potentially very unhealthy situation. And it's really easy for people to judge. But unless you're in their shoes, you have no business judging. Like, you know, what would you do if your 16 and 19-year-old daughter suddenly had the ability to earn more money in six months than most people will make in their freaking lifetime? So in other words, because of the fact that these two girls have so much social media clout that they have the ability to attract like multi-million dollar deals. So literally, they 
can have fun doing what they're doing for just even six months and be set for life. So it's just really funny to me that people are like, I would never allow my kids to do that. Well, you know, I mean, I guess that's your decision. But theirs was to take it one day at a time and to figure it out as they go, but to have boundaries in place and to protect at all costs their family. And the cameras are just following them through this process. And it's really fascinating. It's Again, it's not like your typical, you know, social media, whatever, like annoying, you know, LA family. You really get a sense that this is a, a really strong marriage and girls that they've given a foundation to, but yet they're still, you know, teenage girls, basically. And for myself watching it, like I was watching it with Sierra and watching a little bit with Brett, it helped us to have discussions about, despite the fact that like maybe you have a teenager or a, a millennial or a Gen Z at home, and they might not have 10,000 or 10 million followers like these girls do. But I just think everyone who has a kid that age, or even if you are that age, like maybe you are Gen Z or you are a millennial, you can relate to what they are going through. It's just the same. It's this incredible social scrutiny that just didn't exist when I was a kid. That didn't exist when many of us were kids. Like, unless you grew up in the social media era, like, and when I say grew up, meaning social media existed when you were in middle school, you know what I'm saying? Then you don't even understand the level of pressure and the incredible increase of stress, anxiety, and self-imposed pressure that social media places on these generations, these younger generations, the Gen Z, the, I guess I call it the alpha generation, and then the millennials, like they are struggle with things that we just didn't even have to. We didn't have to worry about what millions of strangers or, or tens of thousands or even a hundred or even 40 strangers might think of us. Like kids today, they think about everything, their image. I mean, were you thinking about your image? Were you thinking about what strangers thought of you that you didn't know in other states? I mean, I wasn't. I mean, sure, I was worried about what the kids at my school thought of me. And kids today, they have all of that, plus having to worry about like what the world thinks of them. And I know what you're thinking, well, but they don't have to post, but they feel like they have to. It's crazy the amount of pressure and stress that kids feel because of freaking social media. And, you know, it's not going away. And it creates this, again, social comparison and social scrutiny where kids, when I'm saying kids, I hope you guys know that I'm talking like millennials, Gen Z, and really anyone who was born before 2010. Just to make things simple, I'm going to refer to those age groups as kids, even though I know you might be listening right now, you're a millennial, you're you know, Gen Z, and you're like, wait a second, I'm an adult. I know, but I'm just going to refer to like this whole big group as kids. So this group of kids, which you may be a member of, it's a lot. It's so much more stress than what I think, you know, people my generation had to deal with. Gen Y, like I asked on Instagram if people noticed that these kids, these groups, these generations have a lot more stress, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, struggle with panic attacks, struggle with their own sexual identity, struggling with their own gender identity, struggling with 
who they are and what they're going to be in this world and what they're supposed to do and their purpose and finding themselves. And it just feels like these groups are really struggling more so than any other previous generations. And it was interesting. Obviously, like a lot of my followers are, you know, my age. And so I assume the answers that I received are kind of skewed, right? They're skewed based on people who are my age or maybe slightly younger, like our own experience, because that's your own perspective. That's like what you know. And so a lot of people responded to that poll and they said, it's not that they have more of these things. It's that talking about these things is more socially acceptable. There's more awareness. It's socially acceptable to talk about therapy and anxiety. And these things in the past were certainly more taboo. We experienced them at the same rate. We just didn't talk about them. We weren't aware of them. And frankly, I think that's like a fraction of the explanation. I really do believe that generations that are younger than Gen X have way more stress, anxiety, and pressures on them than we did. It's not just the awareness. I think that's part of it, but I think it's a really small part of it. You cannot deny that it is stressful for anyone to experience comparison. And for those of us who are Gen Xers, like we didn't know what everyone else was doing. And we didn't have a means by which to compare ourselves to every single person who's our age online, including strangers. We just, we didn't have to do that. And that is really, really overwhelming. Now think about this. You know this to be true. Comparison is the thief of joy. So it's no wonder, because we're in this like social media comparison age, that especially these younger generations, these kids, their happiness and their joy is, they're robbed of it because of social media. I mean, I I keep saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're seeing an epidemic of kids who are suicidal, riddled with social anxiety, paralyzed by panic attacks, and just feeling frozen, feeling like they're just not good enough. No matter what they do, it won't be big enough. It won't be as grandiose as the next person whose post they see on Instagram. It's, I don't know, it's a problem. So when we're talking about things you should watch, I think you should watch this series with the D'Amelios called The D'Amelio Show. I think it's great. There's going to be points at which you're like, oh, please help these girls, help these girls. Just continue to stay tuned and you will see how wise these young women are by like episode number six and seven. You'll see the parents. I don't want to give things away, but just trust me. And also, please know this because I haven't watched the whole series yet. I think I'm through episode seven or eight. The documentary series is, you know, it's about the girls, right? And the parents are featured enough because it's a family unit. But the one thing that they didn't do, which I think is a real disservice to the parents, is they, at least thus far in the series, they didn't spend a lot of time showing you how successful these parents were before any of this happened. And I've just seen some like inappropriate, ill-informed comments from people like, I don't know how you can suggest that people watch this show when it's these parents are sponging off of their kids. I'm like, really? What an ill-informed, short-sighted, judgmental comment. When you don't know, you only know what you are seeing in social media. And frankly, making a comment like that is exactly what I'm talking about. Like strangers on the internet who can 
make comments and judgment about other people who they don't know. They really don't know. And they forget that these are human beings who are living lives. And it's funny because people wouldn't say those same things. Okay, so the girls do social media from like 11 until 4. When I say social media, like they're doing things related to their business. They have partnerships and deals and sponsorships and they have their own clothing company and they're they're killing it. But they're doing it from 11 till 4. Right. And it's funny that people would criticize the parents for allowing them to work those structured hours when we don't criticize parents who have their kids spending that much time devoted to a sport or the parents who have their kids spending 30 hours a week devoted to like, we got to make sure you get that scholarship. Like, it's just, you know, unless you know all the facts, like, I, I think that's part of the problem right now with people's anxieties. Like, we're. We're so afraid to truly be who we are and to like live our lives and and put it out for the world to see because someone may judge or have an opinion about what we're doing that's short-sighted. And I mean, that's part of the problem with social media. So you should also, if you haven't yet, you need to watch The Social Dilemma. Oh my God, that show. I think these are two great shows you could watch with your family, both of them. And it's an important thing to have a discussion about because what are we going to do with these generations that are just, again, being crippled by anxiety? It's I just don't think that it's the awareness and that we've made therapy and talking about these things okay. I mean, that's, again, I think it's a fraction of it. I think we've got to figure out what we're going to do about that. Okay, so those are some of the things we're watching. And that's a little bit about the anxiety that I said I want to talk about. Okay, so here's another thing that we watched (laughs) I feel weird even recommending it because there's some scenes where you're going to be like, Shalene. So this is not family appropriate. It's definitely adult rated, but I thought it was freaking hysterical. It's called White Lotus. I think it's on Netflix. No, HBO. Yeah, it's on HBO. So it's called White Lotus. It's a series filmed at a resort in Hawaii on the island of Maui. And apparently it was all filmed during covid So they had the entire hotel, and it's just kind of fascinating. Now, I'm just going to tell you, all of my friends except for one loved it. And the friend who hated it, she was like, Shaleen, I destroyed brain cells watching it because there was just so much dysfunction. So if you're someone who like just does not love seeing dysfunction, you then you're not going to like this show. But it's literally you're following, I think, like six different groups of guests who are staying at this resort, and they all have kind of a crazy story going on. And what I loved about it is like, that's life. Like every single character, I thought, oh, I know who that is. Oh, I know someone who's just like that. Oh my gosh, their relationship is just like so-and-so and and -and so-and-so's. Like there's so many quirky personality hangups and the acting is unfreaking believable It's so good. And there's like a lot of social commentary. And I just loved it because I just think that is reality. Reality is that everyone's family has a little bit of dysfunction, has imperfections and skeletons and things you don't want the rest of the world to know about. And it just, it is, it's funny and it's dark and it's weird, but it's also pretty dang realistic and super funny and unbelievably entertaining. And again, definitely adult content, but I think you'll enjoy it. Very much along those same lines is a show called Physical. I think that was on Apple. Yeah, I think that was on Apple. 
or Amazon. I forget. Apple or Amazon. You know, whenever I mention one of these shows, if you can't figure out where to watch it, just Google the title of the show and just type in like where to watch physical and it'll tell you what series you can watch. And I'm pretty sure it's Apple. Anyway, so physical. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. So if you grew up in the 80s and you remember like the beginning of the aerobics craze, like jazzercise and when we were wearing like shiny bike shorts and then thong leotards and scrunched down socks and Reeboks with the straps. Like if you even find that a little bit interesting or if in fact you're like my age and you lived through that, like that was when my mom first got into teaching aerobics. Like my mom taught jazzercise and my sister and I would go with her to these jazzercise classes that were usually like in middle school auditoriums. And my mom would bring this like record player and all the ladies would dance in their shiny stirruped tights, barefoot, doing aerobics, literally doing jazzercise. And it's this series called Physical where they're kind of like following this woman who also, trigger warning, let me tell you, she has an eating disorder. And I know this is going to sound weird, but she makes it so funny because you actually hear her thoughts. And she's a great actress. I never remember actresses or actors' names, but, and she's married to this like quirky, weird college professor. And there's just so many fun, crazy, like, oh, it's so good. And it's very dark, but it's really entertaining. And there's a lot of nostalgia. And there's so many things that they did really, really well in this series. And I also think like one of the reasons why I I love this show is because I, I could so relate to, even though it was set in the 80s and my whole experience with, you know, being in fitness videos and and being in the public eye and doing that whole thing, even though mine happened much later, like obviously in the last decade, but there's still a lot of it I could relate to. Just like the negative talk you start having when you're in the public's eye and people are just looking at your body, you know, and I don't know. So I really enjoyed it. Brett really enjoyed it too. All of my friends who've seen it really enjoyed it. But just again, I want you to be forewarned that they do show and talk about eating disorders and, you know, food addiction and exercising and there's scenes with drugs and sex, et cetera. So again, it is adult programming, but those recommendations should keep you busy if you've been looking for something to watch lately. If you've got some great suggestions for me, tell me about them. I'm going to put the number where you can text those suggestions to me. This is my work phone. It's 949-503-9873. And you can send me suggestions on things that I need to watch on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or HBO, like wherever. I'll find it. You just tell me what I need to watch. And also tell me why I need to watch it because I'm very picky, as you know, aren't we all? Okay, surgery update. As you may or may not know, I went in for plastic surgery, elective surgery on... August the 2nd, I went in for a breast reduction and lift. So make the girls a little smaller. And then I also went in for a C-section revision. And I really haven't talked too much about my results or my recovery, et cetera, and what else I did. So I ended up doing a lot more surgery than what I wanted to do. I hope that down the road, In fact, I know down the road, I'm going to be able to explain all of that to you. But for now, I kind of have to be vague. I'll explain later when I can explain. But here's what I can tell you. My revision of my C-section, we ended up doing what is called a mini tummy tuck. 
the difference between a, a regular tummy tuck or I guess a traditional tummy tuck and a mini tummy tuck is this. With a mini tuck, they're just making a revision usually to a C-section scar. Sometimes maybe there's no C-section prior, but it just involves pulling the skin tighter. So if you've got like loose, lax skin, you could do a mini tummy tuck. But for someone who has had extensive weight loss, or maybe you have carried large babies and your stomach has a lot of stretch marks and the skin is no longer elastic the way it once was. You've got like a lot of looseness or what they call skin redundancy. And in addition to that, you might have like a hernia or muscle repair that needs to happen, in which case they typically are, it's going to be a much more invasive surgery. So the scar is usually much wider, usually hip to hip. Sometimes it'll even wrap around the hip and with a traditional tummy tuck. And then they also go in and they kind of suture up the abs or they do the hernia repair at the same time. So it's definitely a more invasive surgery. It's definitely going to be much harder to recover from. It's usually a much wider scar. There's usually someone has to walk with a walker and they aren't able to stand upright for at least a month or so. So for me, I didn't need that, thankfully. I didn't ever have the abdominal separation that a lot of women experience during pregnancy. I was lucky that I didn't get too stretched out from either of my babies. I carried wide. (laughs) Man, did I carry wide. I carried, like, I'm 5'2", and I carried babies that came early, so they were both, like, around six pounds. Brock came, I think, they say six weeks early, but I think he was probably more like four weeks early, and I believe Sierra was two and a half weeks early. Anyways, so I didn't get the muscle separation. I was fortunate enough that I didn't have stretch marks. And for those of you who don't know, stretch marks are usually a very genetic thing. It's a hormone that you produce during pregnancy and sometimes during puberty. So you can apply all the lotions, et cetera. It may minimize the appearance of stretch marks. But if you're going to have stretch marks, you're just going to get them because it's a hormonal thing, right? So I'm fortunate I didn't have that. And I was able to do what I was hoping was just going to be incision just a little bit wider than my C-section scar. What I've ended up with is considerably longer than my C-section scar. And I don't know if you can tell my voice, but I'm trying to stay positive about that because I'm alive. Yes, it is much longer than what I thought I was going to be getting, but it is what it is. And that's just one of the things you have to deal with when you're going in for plastic surgery. It is a very thin scar. I'm happy with that. I am also very happy that I haven't had any infections. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I took over my own care. I left the surgeon that I was working with because I was really unhappy with the, this is just my opinion, the unsanitary practices and my overall experience with the doctor and his staff. And that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. So then in addition to that, I also had a breast lift and a previous breast augmentation. I had it replaced with a smaller implant. So it was a reduction to a previous augmentation. Does that make sense? So As of today, like literally you're listening to this on Monday, it is five weeks postoperatively. So how am I doing? Well, I didn't even see my breasts for, I don't know, like several weeks because they're just, they're bandaged up. It's the only way I can describe it. Like there's tapes all over everything. So I really couldn't see my incisions. You're like really swollen. You're kind of misshapen. You know, things don't like really fall into place for... I don't know, probably like three months or so. 
But recently, I've had the opportunity to take the bandages off and I can kind of see what I'm dealing with. And, you know, I'm very happy that they're smaller, really happy with that. I just feel lighter. I have not had any problems with breast implant illness. I know that that's a real thing. I know many women deal with that and I get it. And I understand that I have a foreign object in me, but my body's never rejected them. I've never had any issues whatsoever. So my decision was to, in fact, replace my implants with smaller implants. There are some really great surgeries available now where you can do fat transfers. And I considered doing that too. It just, I don't know, for me, this seemed like the right decision for me. I know that with the fat transfers, there's often a huge loss of body fat there. Right, So they have to liposuction the fat from another area of your body and then inject it into your breasts. And you know, I've had a few friends who've done it and they, over the course of about a year, they lost, I would say, 40 to 50% of it and they'd have to go back in. And I was just like, and you know, I looked into fat necrosis, which is when the fat literally dies. And I just, for me, it was like, yeah, it was just the decision that felt right to me. My scars and incisions are kind of, I'm trying to describe it. So they actually go around the nipple and then they cut just underneath the breast fold. So that incision that's underneath your breast fold, that should be pretty well hidden depending on the care and concern of your surgeon. I'll let that speak for itself. Anyways, I am doing literally everything to make sure that my scars appearances are minimized from what I'm seeing right now. And if I could be honest, <laughs> no one prepared me for how hard it was going to be to recover from this. And I don't have a point of reference. I don't know if other physicians or surgeons or patient care coordinators explain what you're going to experience with greater detail, or if they all are like, oh no, in 10 days, you're going to be fine. You'll be great. You'll be, you know, back to your normal life and back to the gym and back, not to the gym, but back to work and you're going to feel great and it's no big deal. You'll be fine. Like, I don't know how other people describe it, but I watched a million videos and I, even having seen like some of these like horrible recoveries, I still had no idea like how hard this is going to be to recover from. I had no idea. And of course that is coupled with the fact that, you know, Maybe if you've listened to my previous podcast, you know that it was a very overall, a very traumatic, uncomfortable, life changing experience for me. And not just because of the surgery, but everything leading up to it, everything that happened around it with people who were involved, et cetera. And so that was really stressful and very emotional. And in addition to that, because of the stress and because of everything that I was going through, I wasn't sleeping well on top of the fact that you just don't sleep well anyways when your whole body has been Freddy Kruegered. Like I think I told you, I did this surgery and a girlfriend of mine went in for the same thing, went in for a breast reduction and a C-section revision. And like I saw her this morning and she's like, I mean, would you have even done this if you had known it was going to be this involved to recover? And I was like, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I try to live my life without regrets, but I think, again, we did mini tucks. These are supposed to be mini tucks. This is far less invasive than a full tummy tuck. So I just would have to say, if you're considering doing a full tummy tuck, you better plan on being completely off, like 
not picking up your kids, not being able to bend down and pick up a napkin that you drop on the floor, not being able to return to work, like not being able to do anything but be a burden (laughs) to everybody else who's around you for like at least four weeks. I mean, it wasn't, again, I had the mini tuck, but even with that, like until like week three, I'm like, holy cow, this just knocks you out. You have no idea how emotional and how exhausted and how painful the recovery is. Like it is so hard to sleep, but you have to wear these like compression garments. Didn't know about that. And they're just crazy uncomfortable. And your skin just like everything is disrupted, right? Like it just, it's a really big deal. And until I had done this surgery, I always thought of plastic surgery as like kind of an, I don't want to say a walk in the park, but I will say that I didn't think of my breast augmentation as like that big of a deal when I did it, however many years ago. I just, you know, I talk about the fact that I do Botox. I talk about the fact that I do just some very light injectables, not to change the way my face looks, but like, you know, just to kind of give it a lift and make it look refreshed, but still like me. Like, I don't want to change the way I look, but I have a really high tolerance for pain. And I just have to say, I did not anticipate what a big deal doing a surgery like this is. And I I really stepped into it with way too much invincibility. And if you listen to my episode on Friday, I talked about how dangerous invincible thinking can be. I mean, it truly is a very life-threatening decision to go under the knife for an elective surgery, especially multiple body parts at once. Like that's so much trauma. And my friend, plastic surgeon, who's been on the show many times, Dr. K, Beauty by Dr. K, we'll put a link to her in our show notes. And she's just an amazing woman who was one of the very first people who reached out to me after I talked about the experience that I had. And some of you probably have wondered, like, why didn't you go to her or why didn't you go to Dr. Kakemeister in Mission Viejo, who you've talked about? And I explained why I didn't in my first episode about this. So I'm not going to rehash that. But anyways, Beauty by Dr. K, my girlfriend, Dr. K in Pasadena reached out to me after the surgery and she said, I'm just so sorry. And these were her words. She said, plastic surgery is one of the most traumatic and invasive experiences anyone could ever have. And I was like, wow, I never even thought about that. But of course it's a trauma. It's a physical trauma, which can feel very much like an emotional trauma. I mean, somebody's hands are inside your body. Someone is holding your life in their hands. And if that person doesn't have empathy and care and concern, it can truly be a life-altering experience. And it was just really reassuring. It was confirming. It was affirming to hear from her in that regard. And, you know, she was one of the first people that reached out to me and said, we've got to do something about the way men treat women when it comes to plastic surgery. There's a problem with the misogyny. And again, after hearing from so many people after those episodes that I did talking about my experience, I heard from a lot of you that I should join a few of these like tummy tuck slash plastic surgery support groups on Facebook. And so I did just like out of curiosity to find out like, you know, what are other people's experience like? And were people prepared better? Did people know? Like how do people experience it, et cetera? I heard from many of you who are like, I had something scheduled. 
I heard your episode. It really freaked me out. And now I never want to have plastic surgery. And or people ask me, like, Shaleen, would you ever do plastic surgery again? Or do you regret having done it? I just regret that I didn't go to Dr. Kackemeister or Beauty by Dr. K in Pasadena. Like, these are two people who I freaking love and I completely trust. And that's what I would say to anyone who's considering plastic surgery. Like, I'm still a fan of it. I really am. But I would say this. You've got to take it way more seriously. You cannot go into this being quick to make decisions. You've got to go with your intuition. And you need to do more research. You need to know what to expect in a consultation. What is appropriate? What is inappropriate? What is to be expected on your first consultation? You have the right to ask for a chaperone in the room. You do not have to get completely naked. You know, any red flag that you experience during the process should be a stop, do not go. You should be able to speak to countless past patients. You should evaluate the staff. You should pay attention to the cleanliness. You should look at the surgery center. Don't just have them say, oh, here's where our surgeries are performed. You should have the ability to go and look at the surgery center. And in my opinion, based on my personal experience, you should not solely rely on the reviews that you see on Real Self or Yelp. As I've mentioned previously, those reviews may not include malpractice suits, They may not include patient accidents, a patient death, rates of infection, whether a surgeon has lost their license or if they've been reprimanded by the medical board. Like those things are not going to show up on Yelp and Real Self. They're just not. So do not be lazy and don't just trust what somebody else says about a surgeon. You have to dig. Man, I got to change the laws or I've got to come up with a website or something where We're actually doing a greater service to patients where they actually know and are informed about a surgeon's track record. Like, again, I mean, if if I sell you my house, I have to tell you if it has ever been in a flood. I have to tell you if someone's died in my home. If I sell you my car, I need to tell you if it's been in an accident. You could sue me. You can take me to small claims court if I sell you my vehicle and it's been in, in an accident and I don't disclose that to you and I know that. But physician surgeons do not have to disclose those things to you. Sure, there are some really responsible surgeons out there who will do that. But from what I can tell, that's pretty rare. So what can you do? What should you do? A lot more research. Like you need to become an internet sleuth when it comes to the surgeon who's going to be doing your surgery. Yes, there are some amazing surgeons out there. Seriously, amazing. I know some of them. And there's some real used car salesmen out there who are slick and they will impress you with their fake credentials or inflated credentials or invented credentials and a boatload of positive reviews. I'm not speaking about any doctor in particular, but I am saying that these things exist where people have tons of positive reviews, just like on Amazon, right? You go on Amazon sometimes and there's these products where you're like, wow, they've got 30,000 five-star reviews, huh? And then you realize that many of those people were incentivized to leave that positive review. So I'm just telling you, I'm a fan of plastic surgery, but you got to go into this knowing it's a really big freaking deal. It could cost you your life. It could mean that you are disformed, disfigured, 
or that you have post-traumatic stress disorder. Like you really have to go into this and understand what you're getting yourself into. The more research you do, the better. There's tons of YouTube videos, et cetera. So let me talk about what I've been doing for my healing. I've been doing lymphatic massage, which is really interesting because when you have a surgery like that and they're like literally like lifting up your skin and making all of these incisions, like I had a lot of incisions, you know, under my breast, a line that goes from underneath my breast to the nipple, then around the nipples, the tummy tuck line, you know, so it's a lot. Like my whole front side of my body was like moved around and the front part of your body is where your lymphatic system resides. And your lymphatic system is how you rid your body of toxins. It's an organ system. And there are these little teeny tiny, I guess you could say lymph nodes. And it's like a pathway, right? And it's also what helps your immune system to function. And it's this really large network of, again, like lymph nodes and vessels and lymphoid organs and lymphoid tissues. And all of those things have been disrupted with the surgery that I did, because basically most of that whole system resides in your core. So I've been doing lymphatic massage probably every other day. That's a lot. And I know it sounds like, oh, wow, you got it real tough. You've got to go do massage several times a week, but it's different. Lymphatic massage is very different. They don't massage the muscle. They're really massaging bone and where your lymph nodes are and just getting your skin to like recreate those networks because all those networks were disrupted from the surgeries. Like all those networks were basically cut. Like we've cut the wires to the lymphatic system. So we're re-engaging them. And that's been incredibly helpful. That really helps to reduce the swelling. So like right now, my breasts are not that swollen. My core is, it's a moderate swelling to my belly button. Then from my belly button down, and around my hips, and even a little bit in my back, like there's a lot of swelling. There's a lot of fluid retention. I can just feel it. And so that's why you wear a compression garment, which is like I'm wearing it right now. And it's so uncomfortable. It's kind of like a waist trainer, I guess. They call it a faja, F-A-J-A. But it's like almost like a corset. And then you wear padding in that. And it's like pretty tight. And it creates pressure and tension, and that's what helps the swelling to go down, and it helps the skin to reconnect to that lymphatic system. And And you really have to wear that like 24-7. So, you know, I look like a swollen version of myself. Nothing like really fits right now. I'm wearing like flowy dresses every single day <laughs> because you just – like I, right now I don't want to wear jeans. I've been wearing like my yoga tights recently, but you just look thick because you're wearing – again. like imagine – right? Like I look like SpongeBob SquarePants right now while I'm trying to heal because I'm wearing this like compression garment and then foam inside of it. Because if you were just wearing the garment against your skin and your skin is so like raw and new and fresh and traumatized really. So then you wear the surgical foam between your skin and the garment so that you don't have rubbing. It's not uncomfortable and it creates just a little bit more compression. So I literally look like SpongeBob SquarePants. It's super uncomfortable to sleep. You've got to sleep on your back. Obviously, I can't sleep on my chest right now with, you know, all the stitches that are in the front of my body. And I'm learning to sleep on my back. That's one really great positive. In addition to that for healing, I have doubled my intake of collagen. I take kind of a beauty collagen that's actually was formatted or formulated by Beauty by Dr. K. I'll put a link to that in our show notes too. It's tasteless. So I put that in my water. I put that in my coffee. I put that in my supplements drink. So I'm just like double dosing on the collagen because that's going to help 
create that collagen that's going to minimize the scarring. And I'm also doing hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatments. I'm doing a hard chamber treatment. It's available in a city near you. It runs about $150 per session for, at least for me, that's what it is here. I don't know what it would cost in your area or state, but I have to tell you, wow, what a difference when I started doing the hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatment. And you can look up the research on this. It's remarkable how fast soft tissue injuries heal. It is FDA approved for a whole bunch of different soft tissue injuries. Most plastic surgeons here in Southern California are going to recommend that you do hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatment if you can, right? It's a luxury. It's expensive. Not everyone can afford to do that, but you're going to heal so much faster. Like I cannot even tell you how much faster all of my incisions started to heal as soon as I started doing the hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatment. You just lay down in like this, basically it looks like a glass coffin, if you will, or a spaceship, and you just sit there and it takes you to an atmospheric pressure. You kind of feel like you're on an airplane, like that kind of pressure, like you're, you know, you have to like pop your ears and stuff. And then you wear a mask over your mouth that allows you to breathe fully 100% pure oxygen at that condensed atmospheric pressure. So it just oxygenates your blood and that's what helps the healing for soft tissue tendons and skin and lungs. And it's just incredible for your mitochondria. It literally repairs your body on a cellular level. In addition to that, I am now sleeping much better. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, not perfect, like, but it's definitely getting better. And a lot of that has to do with the supplements. Like I really had to play with my supplements I had to get off the pain pills as fast as possible because it just didn't help me sleep. I don't know about you, but when I'm on any kind of painkiller, it makes me itch. It doesn't help me sleep. It dulls the pain a little bit, but it's like, what's the point if I'm not sleeping? So I've just been really trying to focus on getting better sleep. And I've been using a melatonin gummy that I helped to formulate with my soul CBD. I'm really excited about it, you guys. Like I'm super excited about it. I've been working on this for quite a while under the radar and it tastes delicious. It's blueberry lemon. It should be available to the public in like maybe probably a week after you listen to this episode. So hold your horses, it's coming. Or follow me on Instagram because I'll be able to tell you when it's available to the public. But my family's been testing it. You know, one of the reasons why this became so important to us is because I love taking their dream capsule, which is CBD and melatonin in a a capsule, but I couldn't give it to Bob because Bob doesn't really like to take capsules. So I was like, can you guys make this into a gummy and can we make it this delicious flavor? And they were great about it. So I've been working with the folks at My Soul CBD to produce this amazing gummy. It's an incredible CBD melatonin sleep gummy that tastes really good. And the formulation of it was, it wasn't easy because, you know, if you put too much melatonin in it, you wake up feeling, some people do anyways, a little groggy and we're just getting like the taste profile right. And I'm just really excited about it. Okay. So I just texted Mike Lee, who's one of the founders of My Soul CBD. And that's who I've been working with to formulate this gummy. And I'm really excited that it's actually available now. How cool is that? So we will put a link in the show notes. You can go to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. You get 20% off. Remember, 
That's the code you need to use, mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. I mean, there is no code. You just go to that link, mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. Look for the the gummies called Sleepy. It's the Shaleen gummy. I'm so excited about this. Yes, it has CBD in it, but it has zero THC, which means you won't get high. It means that they really care about that. They do third-party lab testing just to make sure that there is no THC in it for those of you who are concerned with that. Not that I have a problem with THC, but you know, I wanted to create a sleep gummy that you could give to your kids, that you could give to someone with Alzheimer's, that you could safely take it if you do drug testing or if THC isn't legal in your state. Anyways, they have fantastic products, but I'm at the moment most excited about the Sleepy Gummy. It tastes so good. I love the blueberry lemon. I want you to try it. This is something that's just special for my audience at the moment, mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen, and they're going to give you 20% off, which is super cool. Anyways, that worked amazingly for me. It's just a godsend that the formulation worked out just before I had my surgery, so I've been able to use that. And now you get to try it too, tremendously with my healing. And then the last thing that I've been doing for my healing and the scars is silicone, 100% pure silicone specifically silicone tape. So it's this tape that you put over an old scar or a new scar. You wear the tape for 12 hours on, 12 hours off. I'm not kidding you. You can put this on an old scar and you won't believe how much it improves it. Now you can get this like on Amazon. There's a company called Silogen that makes like the top, top, top grade silicone tape, 100% silicone tape. But there are a couple of other brands you can find on Amazon that are about like a quarter of the price. Frankly, they're good. They're probably not as good as Silogen. But I'm telling you what, this stuff, I looked at the research on NIH and the reduction in the appearance and the size and the thickness and overall appearance of scars, both old and new after using the silicone tape was, it's just remarkable. And They don't really know why it is. I don't know if it's because the silicone in the tape is keeping things moist or if it's the protection. I don't even think it's the moisture because, again, the stuff works on old scars too. So I don't know. If you've got a scar that drives you crazy, check out silicone, 100% silicone tape. It's pretty remarkable. And lastly, holy cow, this is a long episode. I was not expecting it to be so long. But with regard to all this healing, you know, that's self-care. Right. And that was one of the things many of you said you wanted to talk about. It was like, how do you find time for self care? And, you know, that it kind of also brings me back to the series I'm watching, the D'Amelio show, because that's what the girls are trying to figure out. Like, how do I take care of myself? And here they are, teenage girls. And, you know, it's true. Like, even our kids need to figure out a time when they can be kids. We all can just hit a wall, whether you're a mom or a busy college student or a single dude who's like trying to make it in the world, like we can all really feel like we're supposed to be doing more and we're supposed to be doing things for other people. And if we rest or if we take care of ourselves, then we're being selfish or we're being weak or we're being lazy. We're falling behind. We are not enough. We're not valuable unless we're hustling. We're not worthy unless we're doing, doing, doing. So I can only share with you what has worked for me. That's all I ever do, right? So when this started happening, like when I woke up from surgery and realized like, whoa, what just happened? What am I in the middle of? 
It was a recovery. I had not anticipated it being so difficult. I hadn't anticipated it being so upsetting, so stressful, so traumatic. I wasn't anticipating any of those things. I had prepared to recover for a couple of weeks, right? So I I made accommodations to my schedule. I had podcasts that were ready to go. However, that all pretty much got scrapped. And I was supposed to return to full-blown, you know, work sitting behind the computer and doing my interviews and things like that. Like, right, I wasn't be returning immediately to fitness, et cetera, or traveling, but I just had no idea it was going to be so involved. I did had no idea that I was going to need extra time to recover or that my recovery process would be slowed down by what I was going through emotionally. And I think you'll be able to relate to this, but we all do this thing where it's like, well, I can do it, so I should do it. I've got the time, so therefore just do it. Just power through. Like we treat ourselves as if we're superhuman. And I don't know about you, but I feel guilty when I have the time to do something, when I'm able to do something, but yet emotionally it feels like it's too much. Like I feel very guilty expressing that because I'm like, well, just buck up, like deal with it, just do it. Just, you know, everyone else could probably do it. So why are you moaning in your own head, right? Like I just felt really, again, like this is an elective surgery. It's your own freaking fault. It's your fault that you went with the person you went with. It's your fault that you didn't look further. It's your fault that you didn't listen to the red flags. It's your fault that you, like I just was doing like a lot of blaming And so because of that, like I was also in my head saying, so therefore you don't deserve to take care of yourself. Like you don't have that luxury. You got yourself into this mess. That's kind of what I was thinking. And then I just had a night where I completely broke down. I was sleeping in a separate bedroom from Brett because like, you know, we couldn't even sleep in the same bed because I'd have mine like propped up at like a 45 degree angle. And so I was sleeping in a separate bedroom and I just couldn't sleep. It's like that post-surgery, I'm uncomfortable, insomnia. And I'm just discovering what happened to me. I'm discovering a lot of things that I can't share with you yet. Maybe I'll never be able to share with you. I don't know. But it was very traumatic and very emotional. And I just was breaking down. And for the first time that I can recall, maybe ever, I just was like, laying in bed, just crying uncontrollably, like just sobbing. And I've never felt like that before. I mean, I've never had like a, like it felt like I was having a mental breakdown. And Brett's sleep is so important right now. So I would never, ever interrupt his sleep, but I'd had to. And I just, you know, went into his, our bedroom and I knelt down next to the bed and I just kind of like put my hands on the bed because I I couldn't get into the bed and I couldn't bend over and tap him because, you know, my incision. So I I just like got on my knees like you would be like a child does when they're praying and next to him while he was sleeping and just was crying uncontrollably. And he startled awake. He's like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? I'm like, I don't know. I've never felt like this. And I just was like losing it, breaking down. And the next morning, I woke up with a different resolve. I kind of had to like have a serious conversation with myself and ask myself, like, if you care about other people, 
then you have to be healthy. And the decisions you're making right now have to be in the best interest of your health. And that means your mental health. I mean, you're being a hypocrite, Shalene, if you aren't prioritizing your own mental health right now. You can't take care of your physical health if mentally you are broken. And I was pretty broken at that point. So I just had to like put on the brakes and say, all right, what do I need to heal mentally right now, emotionally? I need to do less. I need to speak to God. I need to be quiet. I need to listen. I need to reflect. I need to meditate. I need to be with my husband. I need to be with my daughter. I need to be with the people who love me. I need to take a step away from social media. I need to take a step away from the podcast. I need to prioritize things that help me to recover. And then it just became a very simple decision. It was easy for me to say no to things. I just contacted you know, everyone on my team and said, sorry, everything has to be canceled. Everything has to be pushed off. We've got to clear my schedule for at least two weeks so that I can take care of my mental health. And that's what it may take when it comes to you finding time for your self-care. You might be at a place where you've got to make a clear distinction on what do you need to do to take care of your mental health? Because if you're just trying to put a Band-Aid on it, if you're like, well, if I just get this workout in, well, then I'm going to feel better. Or, well, if I just get this project done, then I'm going to feel better. Well, if I can just go spend an hour with so-and-so, well, then I'll feel better. That, that's a Band-Aid. You've really got to do the work, whether that's working with a therapist or clearing your schedule or finding someone who can help you emotionally, mentally, and then ultimately physically. But you've got to make a decision to do that because other people can't do that for you. You have to be an advocate for yourself. And you know what? That does take courage. Many of you listening right now are afraid to focus on your own mental health because you're like, hey, listen, I've gotten this far. I don't know if I want to open up that can of worms. Let me tell you, not opening up that can of worms means that that can of worms is going to turn into a ticking time bomb. Eventually, it's not just going to open, it's going to explode if you keep trying to keep a lid on it, all right? So let this be your, I don't know, your hint, your sign, your message, your reminder that if you love and care about other people, you've got to care about you first. You are the first line of defense. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. Oh, and happy Labor Day. The drive to go further and reach higher. The same thing that inspires you, inspires us. At Strayer University, we're always searching for new ways to make education more affordable. That's why we offer access to up to 10 no-cost gen ed courses to help you save time and money so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. No-cost gen ed provided by Strayer University affiliates of Field Learning. Eligibility rules apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF.